York Times. That is, they are powerful propaganda organs of the Republican Party. For our politics, this development in the media represents a structural change, a structural advantage for the GOP and conservatism, and I believe the greatest structural obstacle facing opponents of the right wing. I therefore think it is one of the most important political stories of the era. I have sought to tell this story in the Republican noise machine, right-wing media, and how it corrupts democracy. I know there is a Republican noise machine because I was once part of it. From the Washington Times to a stint as a research fellow at the Heritage Foundation, the right's premier think tank, to a position as an investigative writer at the muckraking magazine The American Spectator, and as the author of a best-selling right-wing book, I forwarded the right-wing agenda not as an open political operative or advocate, but under the guise of journalism and punditry, fueled by huge sums of money from right-wing billionaires, foundations, and self-interested corporations. By the time I said goodbye to the right-wing in 1997, what was once a voice in the wilderness was drowning out competing voices across all media channels. The most influential political commentator in America, Rush Limbaugh, and his hundreds of imitators, saturated every media market in the country, providing 22% of Americans, not only conservatives but independent swing voters, with their primary source of news. Conservatives had changed the face of the cable news business with the establishment of the top-rated Fox News Channel, a slicker broadcast version of the Mooney Washington Times. Pundit Ann Coulter and her fanatical ilk topped the best-seller lists, becoming superstars in the world of political punditry. The Spectator Juggernaut, which had a circulation of 300,000 per month at its height in the early 1990s, had been replaced by Internet gossip Matt Drudge, who gets more than 6.5 million visitors to his site every day. Although enormous subsidies were still being pumped into right-wing media that did not turn a profit, right-wing media also had become a multi-billion dollar business, a development that powerfully affected all other commercial media. The lies, smears, and vicious caricatures leveled against Bill and Hillary Clinton by this right-wing media, and then repeated in virtually every media venue in the country, have now become well documented, not least in Blinded by the Right. In that book I compared the anti-Clinton propaganda to a virus, as it seeped off the pages of The Spectator into the minds of every sentient American. My memoir ended in 2000. What I did not fully comprehend then... But what is apparent to me now, as I have watched the politics of the last few years unfold, is that the virus was not Clinton-specific. In fact, it had nothing to do with the Clintons per se. Rather, in different strains, it would afflict any and every political opponent of the right wing, including Al Gore, Senate Democratic leader Tom Daschle, and the mourners of Senator Paul Wellstone, every major Democrat seeking the presidency in 2004, New York Times columnist Paul Krugman, and the liberal advocacy group MoveOn.org. What we have here, as a criminal investigator might say, is a pattern. In the 2000 presidential campaign, the Republican noise machine, which worked for years to convince Americans that the Clintons were criminally minded, used the same techniques of character assassination to turn the Democratic standard-bearer Al Gore, for many years seen as an overly earnest Boy Scout, into a liar. When Republican National Committee polling showed that the Republicans would lose the election to the Democrats on the issues, a skillful and sustained 18-month campaign by Republicans to portray the vice president as flawed and untrustworthy was adopted, the New York Times reported. Republicans accused Gore of saying things he never said, 
most infamously that he invented the Internet, a claim he never made that was first attributed to him in a GOP press release before it coursed through the media. Actually, Gore had said, During my service in the United States Congress, I took the initiative in creating the Internet, a claim that even former House Speaker Newt Gingrich verified as true. The right-wing media broadcast this attack and similar attacks relentlessly, in effect giving the GOP countless hours of free political advertising every day for months leading up to the election. Albert Arnold Gore, Jr. is a habitual liar, William Bennett, a cabinet secretary in the Reagan and first Bush administrations, announced in the editorial pages of the Wall Street Journal. Gore lies because he can't help himself, neoconservative pamphleteer David Horowitz wrote. Liar, liar, screamed Rupert Murdoch's New York Post. The conservative columnist George F. Will pointed to Gore's serial mendacity and warned that he is a dangerous man. Gore may be quietly going nuts, National Review's Byron York concluded. The Washington Times agreed. The real question is how to react to Mr. Gore's increasingly bizarre utterings. Webster's New World Dictionary defines delusion thusly. The apparent perception, in a nervous or mental disorder, of something external that is not actually present, a belief in something that is contrary to fact or reality, resulting from deception, misconception, or a mental disorder. This impugning of Gore's character and the questioning of his mental fitness soon surfaced in the regular media. The New York Times ran an article headlined, Tendency to Embellish Fact Snags Gore, while the Boston Globe weighed in with, Gore seen as misleading, on ABC's This Week, former Clinton aide George Stephanopoulos referred to Gore's Pinocchio problem. For National Journal's Stuart Taylor, the issue was the Clintonization of Al Gore, who increasingly apes his boss in fictionalizing his life story and mangling the truth for political gain. Washington Post editor Bob Woodward raised the question of whether Gore could comprehend reality, while MSNBC's Chris Matthews compared Gore to Zelig and insisted... Isn't it getting to be delusionary? The well-orchestrated media cacophony had its intended effect. The election was far more competitive than it should have been, and indeed was decided before the Supreme Court stepped in, because of negative voter perceptions of Gore's honesty and trustworthiness. In the final polls before the election and in exit polls on Election Day, voters said they favored Gore's program over George W. Bush's. Gore won substantial majorities not only for his position on most specific issues, but also for his overall thrust. The conservative Bush theme of tax cuts and small government was rejected by voters in favor of the more liberal Gore theme of extending prosperity more broadly and standing up to corporate interests. Yet while Bush shaded the truth and misstated facts throughout the campaign and everything from the size of Gore's federal spending proposals to his own record as governor of Texas, by substantial margins, voters thought Bush was more truthful than Gore. According to an ABC exit poll of personal qualities that mattered most to voters, 24% ranked honest-slash-trustworthy first, and they went for Bush over Gore by a margin of 80% to 15%. 74% of voters said Gore would say anything, while 58% thought Bush would. Among white, college-educated male voters, Gore's untruthfulness was cited overwhelmingly as a reason not to vote for him, far more than any other reason. Two years after the election, Gore gave an extraordinary interview to the New York Observer 
that could be read as an explanation of what happened to his presidential campaign. Gore charged that conservatives in the media, operating under journalistic cover, are loyal not to the standards and conventions of journalism, but rather to politics and party. Gore said, The media is kind of weird these days on politics, and there are some major institutional voices that are, truthfully speaking, part and parcel of the Republican Party. Fox News Network, The Washington Times, Rush Limbaugh, there's a bunch of them, and some of them are financed by wealthy ultra-conservative billionaires who make political deals with Republican administrations and the rest of the media. Most of the media has been slow to recognize the pervasive impact of this fifth column in their ranks, that is, day after day injecting the daily Republican talking points into the definition of what's objective as stated by the news media as a whole. Something will start at the Republican National Committee, inside the building, and it will explode the next day on the right-wing talk show network and on Fox News and in the newspapers that play this game, the Washington Times and the others. And then they'll create a little echo chamber, and pretty soon they all start baiting the mainstream media for allegedly ignoring the story they've pushed into the zeitgeist. And then pretty soon the mainstream media goes out and disingenuously takes a so-called objective sampling— and lo and behold, these RNC talking points are woven into the fabric of the zeitgeist. True to form, the right-wing media greeted this factual description with yet another frenzy of repetitive messaging portraying Gore as crazy. Speaking of Gore on Fox News, the Weekly Standard's Fred Barnes said, This is nutty. This is along the lines with, you know, President Bush killed Paul Wellstone, and the White House knew before 9-11 that the attacks were going to happen. This is, I mean... This is conspiratorial stuff. Also on Fox, syndicated columnist Charles Krauthammer.